they were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest, has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Hello and welcome to August's no. July. Hello. <laughs> welcome to Hannah's state of mind. <laughs> Hello and welcome to July's Flicking, our monthly podcast in which we, I don't know, judge each other on <laughs> our film choices. Although to be fair, it's usually a lot more civilised than that. Joining me as ever, Yosra Osman. Hello. And making the choice this time. Mickey Nolan. I'm in the hot seat. Hello. What did you make us watch? This month, I picked Cinematic Game Changer, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. For my money, one of the best films of the 1980s, possibly one of the best films of all time. Daffy and Donald, Bugs and Mickey, Eddie and Roger, together at last. Now then, as repeatedly demonstrated on this podcast, I, Michaela Louise Noonan, am a woman who bloody loves a movie. And Roger Rabbit is definitely a movie but it is one with huge technical merit as well as being a wildly entertaining, exhilarating and clever narrative. For the uninitiated, uh, what the fuck are you playing at? Why haven't you watched it? Roger Rabbit seamlessly fuses live action film and animated characters in a tightly structured classical noir script absolutely packed with gags. Boundaries? Pa! Genres? In a blender! Director Robert Zemeckis threw the rules out and everything in to make a true original. Loosely based on Gary K. Wolfe's 1981 novel Who Censored Roger Rabbit, with a screenplay written by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman and a certain Steven Spielberg as exec producer, Roger Rabbit was released by Touchstone Pictures, making it sort of Disney, but removed enough to be a bit more risky and indeed risque than the usual stuff from The House of Mouse. And although Roger Rabbit is 35 years old this year, not only has it barely aged today, it looks a hell of a lot better than great swathes of more modern movies. Take that, CGI! It's one in the eye for you! And a massive round of applause for painstaking, hand-painted animation cells. Actually, instead of applause, how about the Academy Awards Special Achievement Award? Not brought out annually, but bestowed upon someone who's made an exceptional contribution to a film usually to do with breaking ground in terms of technology, and in Roger Rabbit's case, given to animation director Richard Williams. And go on then, how about another three Oscars, a BAFTA, a Caesar, and a whole host of nominations, bingo bongo. Look, I could wang on for ages about how darn clever this film is, and the whole process behind it is fascinating. If that's the kind of thing you like nerding out on, there is loads of really interesting stuff to nerd out on, and I've read most of it. And also, the the behind-the-ears documentary charting the film's making is excellent. But that's not why I love it. I love Bob Hoskins as hangdog boozehound P.I. Eddie Valiant. Joanna Cassidy is sublime as Eddie's sort of girlfriend Dolores. The Weasels are brilliant. Christopher Lloyd's Judge Doom and full-on Looney Tune is perfectly terrifying, and the murder of the shoe puppy still makes me sad. And I really, really love Roger voiced by Charles Fleischer. Betty Booth paint wrong when she says Jessica's a lucky girl. And also, it's just proper funny. 
I had the best time watching it at the cinema when I was 11 and the best time watching it again last week. Yes, I do have it on DVD. Yosra, have you seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, loads of times. But it's interesting. I haven't actually watched it for a few years until yesterday when I chose to watch it. And um, I think what's really interesting is I remember when I enjoyed it as a kid and the reasons I enjoyed it as a kid were, gosh, this is so silly. Look at the animations doing all this crazy stuff. Ha, ha, ha. And now when I watch it as an adult, I'm like, wow, how did they do that? The technical marvel behind this. And I'm just... So I was amazed and entertained by it, but for two slightly different reasons. I still find it really silly and funny and just chaotic and love it for that reason. But I really, really enjoyed watching it again yesterday and being able to appreciate the kind of technical, innovative, creative qualities that are in the film. Well, that's good news. And I enjoy that your powder is already fully wet. (laughs) Hannah, (laughs) I know you have watched it a lot of times, but how many times do you reckon you've seen it? Well, probably it's around Christmas, or it was every year, generally Christmas morning at about, I don't know, 11 o'clock in the morning. And I watched it every Christmas for like 20 years, probably. Don't think I've seen it since my dad died, to be honest. So that would be seven or eight years since I've seen it. And much as Jocelyn said, it was just an absolute, just incredible shock how it looks. Even though I've seen it quite recently and I've seen it loads, the minute it was on, I watched it with my nephew and we were just like, wow, this looks amazing. I I fully expected it to have, you know, not flaws, but bits that you could spot because we've become a bit more technologically savvy and it's absolutely flawless in terms of animation. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I agree. Was it one of your dad's favourite films? Oh, yeah, we loved it. There's not many films that we watch as a family to be honest so that meant like literally all of us big which i mentioned recently we watched a lot of big because that was always on around christmas and this and on air they were the three family films <laughs> the dunleavy family films that everybody what loved. an absolute corking trio of family films yeah, that is. <laughs> absolutely but yeah but also big fan of bob hoskins just generally there's good there's going to be bob hoskins chat for sure because there's also this clash between what Bob Hoskins was most famous for, really, which actually wasn't, for a lot of people, not necessarily that famous, if you don't, I mean, he made a series of sort of 70s and 80s sort of British gangster-style films, The Long Good Friday and things like that. And I think, actually, his American accent isn't bad. I think it works pretty well. Big, big heart eyes for Eddie. Yeah. A quick plot summary. It's 1947 in Los Angeles and animated characters known as Toons live in a specialised area, segregated area, called Toontown, but regularly interact with humans, predominantly to make films and do business. Down on his luck and up on his units of alcohol for the week, Detective Eddie Valiant is hired by cartoon producer R.K. Maroon to investigate rumours that Jessica Rabbit, voiced by an uncredited but immediately recognisable Kathleen Turner, the sultry wife of one of his stars, Roger Rabbit, is having an affair with Marvin Acme, owner of Toontown. Eddie's photos of the two playing patty cake seems to prove the rumours are true and a distraught Roger flees. Which makes Roger prime suspect number one when the very next day Acme shows up dead. Toontown's sinister, self-appointed senior court judge, Judge Doom, sets out to find Roger and execute him using a chemical substance known as the dip, the only thing capable of killing otherwise invulnerable toons. 
Meanwhile, Roger turns up at Eddie's flat, claiming he's been framed and asking for help. And Roger's co-star, Baby Herman, has already told Eddie that Acme's missing will, which supposedly gives Toontown's ownership to the Toons, may actually be what the killer really wanted, and that the killer is not going to have been Roger. Thing is, Eddie's not keen on Toons, given that one killed his brother Teddy, but reluctantly sets out to clear Roger's name and keep that rabbit safe. I'm so excited that this feels like it's just going to be a love fest. This is brilliant. I love it. It's like <laughs> Jurassic Park all over again. Okay, what an opener. Am I right? Yeah, it's so meta yeah. as well. It makes me laugh so much. Like like I said, rewatch yesterday. I laughed so, so much because it's just, you could easily watch it thinking that this opening scene with the baby and everything going on is from an actual animation that comes from the time of the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Yeah has the essence of those 1940s Warner Brothers animations and it just feels really natural. And then as soon as it hits, kind of pans out and you see that it's being shot and you've got the real life actors involved, that's when all that starts and you're just kind of amazed by it. And that the baby, I can't remember who voices the baby, but it's just so funny. It's Lou Hirsch. Yeah, he's great. I mean, you're right. This is pretty much going to be a love fest but what I do really like about it is that the animation is very much the style of animation that was in the 1940s and that you see in things like Looney Tunes and it just feels really natural placing it in a real world environment. Totally. How do you feel about something's cooking Hannah? Yeah I mean yeah everything that you also just said sums it up pretty nicely there. There's a moment where it sort of clicks and I don't mean it jars. I mean, you just see suddenly it switches from cartoon to the real world. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's excellent. And the truth is, I don't really like that sort of cartoons. I was never really into those sort of hitting yourselves over the head with a hammer type thing. But yeah, I really enjoy it when it's done here. I think because it's lovingly poking at it, isn't it? Yeah. That cartoon violence sort of, you know, mainly taking the piss out of by itchy and scratchy on The Simpsons. I think they really nail it as well. And I was actually going to ask you guys whether you were a Disney Looney Tunes or, you know, a bit of a random one, but absolutely influential in Roger Rabbit, Tex Avery cartoon fan, which were your go-to when you were younger. I think you both know I'm a huge Disney fan and (laughs) a huge Looney Tunes fan. And even, you know, it's quite funny, actually, because some of them are so problematic when you look back, especially things like Tom and Jerry with kind of things like violence and even other things that we're going to but I still really enjoy watching them so it's it's kind of cool. and actually one thing I was thinking how funny like how much red tape they must have had to go through to get all of these different cartoon characters from Disney from Looney Tunes in one scene for example the, the legalities of it must have been so difficult and I don't think you'd be able to do that now enter Steven Spielberg that's what he did his thing which was as you've just sort of said pretty much almost as complicated as the technical stuff in Roger Rabbit was bringing together the allowances to use those characters. And there were sort of strict stipulations. They all had to have equal airtime. So that scene where Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny play the trick on Eddie Valiant with the parachutes, you'll notice that Mickey Mouse comes in first and then Bugs Bunny comes in and then Mickey Mouse leaves and Bugs Bunny leaves after that. And it is so that they share the exact same amount of screen time because that's how tight the legalities around using everything were that's like um it's like the tower and inferno but for cartoons (laughs) is that with the poster and who had top yeah with the poster one of them gets to be left 
but the one on the right is slightly higher. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I watched a lot of cartoons as a kid, but I have to say if there had been more than four channels offering more stuff, I maybe wouldn't have watched so many cartoons because I don't remember having a huge amount of love for them. I mean, obviously there were some Disney films that I liked. I was a really big fan of The Rescuers, but I don't remember having a lot of stuff like books or puzzles or things that went with it. Mm. I didn't have Tom and Jerry's face on anything for example. I so, did, on everything. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of cartoons, but it doesn't mean it's not, sort of, it doesn't trigger something in it when you, it, it's familiar, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean it's not familiar and it isn't enjoyable to see something that makes you go, uh, but all of my nostalgia from this came from the nostalgia of watching Roger Rabbit again. Yeah, totally. It's, it's become its own nostalgia. Yeah. Let's move away from the cartoon world just briefly. And this is a question for Hannah, but I think, yeah, you're sorry, you might have you might have seen it too. I've never seen Chinatown. And apparently it's, a, it's quite a recognisable influence on Roger Rabbit. Is it? And do I need to watch it? Well, funnily enough, I had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday who was talking about water. Because we were talking about Arizona, how hot it is there. And I was like, people aren't supposed to live there. And then he said something to me and he said, well, that's basically the plot of Chinatown. And I said, no, it's not. And I had a conversation with him. And then he said, no, I've had a French connection. And, and I was like, oh, okay, in that case, I haven't seen Chinatown because I thought that uh, I got the two mixed up in my head. So I don't know is the answer to that question. Okay. I don't know. Y- Yosra, any input? I, I'm sorry, I haven't seen Chinatown. So sorry, I'm, I'm useless in this conversation. Well, in that case, my definition of this fact, neither of you can argue with because you don't have the facts either. <laughs> But basically the idea that Judge Doom owns Cloverleaf, which is a big company that's coming in and it's buying up Redcar, which is the means of transport for people who don't have cars, therefore don't really have very much money around Los Angeles at the time. And it's a similar sort of thing, yeah, to do with Chinatown and how the gentrification of Los Angeles is pushing out certain areas of the population. And now this is a really interesting thing that I absolutely didn't notice the first time I've watched Roger Rabbit. But I have thought about when I've watched it as I've got older. And that is that some people posit there is a subtext of racial segregation within Who Frames Roger Rabbit. And I wondered whether either of you had thoughts on that or had spotted it. Well, interestingly, my nephew did describe Bob Hoskins' character. He did describe Eddie as being racist against Tones. That was the word he used Okay, it, when, he, when he was talking about it. And uh, I was like, I don't know if that works or not. I don't know if being a tone is actually a race. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't know if racism. But he clearly was picking up some undertone of segregation and stuff that I have to say, I, yeah, I suppose I've seen it too many times now to actually spot that stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. I think because it, it means certain things to you and those things are so set in stone that to actually yeah. look at it slightly differently is odd. In terms of that stuff, it kept making me think about there being a town. It did make me think of cities where sort of communities that happens a lot in America. But, you know, that's, and that, but actually it's happened here. If you look at what happened to Glasgow when they decided to stick a road right through the middle of it, you know, communities were split up. Joshua? It's a tricky one. I kind of understand in terms of the segregation of the teens and the non-teens. But from a racial perspective... It might be a little bit deep for me, especially because it's it's 1940s Hollywood when there was actual racial segregation. Yeah, Jim Crow laws were at their height, yeah. Yeah, exactly, which isn't really, obviously it's not going to be touched upon in this film. So 
I can't even get it. But I, I wouldn't go as far as to discuss it with that angle myself. Yeah, when I read around what people were saying, the the point that was made that I thought that's actually a really good point that makes this stand up and be worth talking about is the comparison between the Ink and Paint Club where they go to see Jessica and the Cotton Club at the time in the 1940s. And in the Ink and Paint Club, the toons work there, but there are no toon guests. Yeah. All the guests are human. Yeah, I can see that. And I I think it is interesting. Probably not something I picked on massively. Other than the one thing I did think of, which says a lot about me, is the penguins that are serving. I thought, oh, those are the penguins from Mary Poppins because they look just the same as those penguins. They are the penguins. Picking up on completely different (laughs) (laughs) I think they are the penguins from Mary Poppins. And that is like, you know, to go back to the joy of Roger Rabbit, the cameos from the cartoons are wonderful. And I think what else really stands up about it is like the cameos from familiar characters that we know and love or have been forced to watch because they're only four channels, however we have come to know of them in our lives. The new characters are just as good and they're like immediately go to your heart in the same way. I think like Roger, Baby Herman, Jessica. Yeah, and they're iconic, aren't they? I mean, especially, you know, Jessica Rabbit, but Roger is so funny and there are lines that I pick up on now that I probably do You know, I was more interested in the zaniness of him as a kid, but he's got really, really funny lines. I absolutely love the scene with the, I do, I don't want to drink this, and yeah. the back and forth there. Yeah. There's a bit when they're handcuffed and Bob Hoskins character says, you mean you could have taken your hand out of that cafe at any time? And Roger goes, no, only when it was funny. And just little things, little quips like that that come in. He's just such a funny, endearing character. But again, I'm picking up on so much more as I'm watching it now. It is absolutely fantastic. And I, I have a, a, a sort of an interesting relationship with puns. I mean, sometimes I can find them really cringe and annoying. But that said, having been a journalist, I've made good use of many, many puns over the years uh-huh. in headlines. <laughs> etc etc and I still do now but there are some classic ones including the dumb dumb bullets that are stupid and <laughs> when the, the the woman has something down her top and, and it goes oh a booby trap um, which is <laughs> yeah, which is classic uh, yeah I also like someone is described as a delightful furball I think they're referring to Roger but actually it could well be Bob Hoskins in this <laughs> It really could. So I want to talk about two of my very, very favourite sequences in the film, which I think in slightly different ways absolutely explain why it works with the cartoons and the live action coming together. And the first is the scene when Roger is in Bob Hoskins' flat and the weasels come to try to find him. And you've got that incredibly slapstick but very clever extended scene in which not only does it just become a really easy way to accept that, yeah, okay, toons and humans interact in this world and you just totally accept it. But it also gives us really key plot points and character points about Roger and Eddie. We find out about Eddie's brother. We find out stuff about Roger and his relationship with Jessica. I wondered what you thought of that scene, whether that was a favourite for you guys. Bless you, Hannah. I didn't get to the mute button this time. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's really great, especially in terms of the kind of animation against the action that's happening in the scene. And I think it emphasizes the level of detail within the animation because it's not just you're putting animation straight into the shot. You're editing the kind of things like lighting, shadowing in response to the action that's taking place within that shot. And if you kind of go over that scene in detail, you can see where the hard work that the animations must have gone through. But also... From Bob Hoskins' perspective, yeah. I'm not sure we've discussed this yet, but he did a lot of that on his own yeah. without anything to go off of. So looking at his kind of, this is method acting from Bob Hoskins, mm. is really, really impressive. Yeah, he is amazing. And they always say that the thing is, you, when you're looking at nothing and you're supposed to be looking at something, and I get that there was probably in many ways something there a lot of the time. Charles Fleischer dressed as a giant rabbit is what was there yeah. for a lot of it. But also yeah. puppets and wiring and various, they, they tried to make yeah. it so that eyeline thing you just mentioned, Hannah, yeah. wasn't an issue. I did. I don't know that I mentioned that. I think I was literally building up oh, to sorry. it. You just knew that I was about to sweat here. Yeah. We spent yeah, too much time you together. Have to not be looking, you'd have to be not looking through it, but also you have to be looking approximately at where it would be and that stuff. I'm guessing it's quite hard just because I've seen it done badly in so many things. Yeah. I'm going to give you a little casting fun fact here because Bob Hoskins, and I genuinely, genuinely can't imagine anyone else as Eddie because he is incredible, was way down the list behind, to name but a few, Harrison Ford, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy. I love all those actors. Chevy Chase, clearly quite problematic, but I, I just cannot imagine them as Eddie Valiant. Harrison Ford in particular, because I don't, he carries all that stuff with him. You'd have to lose the Indiana Jones. You'd have to learn yeah. Han Solo. You'd have to lose all of that stuff. He's sort of too handsome and charming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too sort of together and, yeah, heroic. And, I mean, Eddie is a bit broken, Ooh. isn't he? So yeah, it would someone who looked like they needed a shower. Um, <laughs> and a backwatch. Bless him, he's a fairy man. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I can't see any of them doing it, really. I know that's easy to say when this film is 30 years, say five years old. Um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine it with anybody but Bob Hoskins, really. Because also, Eddie Murphy would have been, much as I adore most, most of his stuff during this period, much as I probably shouldn't, he would have been too Eddie Murphy and he's not the star of the show. It would be, yeah, I'm great. Mr. Rabbit is the star of the show. Yeah. yeah. Which is interesting because the other sequence that I think is absolutely brilliant, I mean, the whole film's absolutely brilliant, but it's a real standout for me, actually kind of speaks to the technical wizardry is great, the animation is great, but Bob Hoskins is, to me, the star of Roger Rabbit. And that is the scene where he does his vaudeville slapstick to make the weasels oh. die laughing and to distract the judge, and that is just fucking phenomenal. It's so good. Yeah. I don't mean he's not the star of the show, but what I mean is this isn't the Bob Hoskins hour. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. Other than that, in that scene, he's quite understated, whereas, because Roger Rabbit is giving a lot of the energy, whereas I'm imagining (laughs) if he had Roger Rabbit and Eddie Murphy, that's a lot of energy going off of each other. Mm. So, yeah. I'm going to give you... Another little casting fun fact that I thought was lovely in that Tim Curry, the wonderful Tim Curry, auditioned for the role of Judge Doom, but was rejected because the producers found him too terrifying. They just thought he was too scary. <laughs> and, and John Cleese wanted the role, but was deemed not scary enough. Christopher Lloyd used to 
fucking scare the shit out of me. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, I was yeah. a bit braced for it because it, the eye bit is a bit, yeah, yeah, a bit grim, and I don't really like eyes, face eggs. Yeah, and it keeps coming back. The danger just keeps coming back, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's over. Oh no, they're in danger again. Oh, it's over. Oh no, they're in danger again. Did the judge used to scare you, Yosua? Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, terrifying. He's still a little bit terrifying now. I mean, not in the same way, but just, yeah, really, really scared everyone else as a kid. Did you cry about the shoe? I used to cry about the shoe, puppy. It's so sad. Not yesterday. I remember being very... Probably <laughs> because I knew it was going to happen. But yeah, oh my God, when I was a kid, I was very upset by the shoe. I still is, That scene does still upset me, actually. Just not to the verge of tears. Okay. Hannah was just shaking her head. Not even when you were a kid. You weren't sad about the shoe puppy when you were a kid. I mean, I was probably sad about it. I don't recall crying. It's such really a dark bad. scene, that bit. Yeah. I think fear was more the emotion. I mean, bearing in mind, I was a bit older than you when I saw this the first time, obviously. What, this is 1988, isn't it? So I would have been 14 or something yeah. when I first saw it. Did you see it at the cinema? I don't think so. I think I saw it on video, so maybe 15. I don't know. I can't remember seeing it at the cinema, but that doesn't mean that I did. Because we did used to go to the cinema a lot to get out of my mum's way so she could do jobs. And it was perfectly acceptable to just send your kids to the cinema in those days. Yeah, it was. It really was. I guess yeah. we have to talk about Jessica Rabbit, who I think is great, and I'm fine with her being a sort of film noir sex part. It kind of works, but... Yeah, do do we think that's dated or do we think it still works? Did it ever work with young men whacking themselves off to a cartoon? Probably. I mean, they were. Yeah. I, I think it's undoubted that she's probably, <laughs> yeah, she's probably the hottest cartoon that's ever existed. She'd be, I think if you ask men if they can fuck a cartoon, which one it would be, <laughs> Jessica Rabbit would come top, I think. I think. Does that mean I get a night with Roger? <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> a bit too by Jack Forsman for my liking. A little um, bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a cliche, isn't she? But so is Eddie Valiant. So it's okay, mm-hmm. I think. I think. Yeah, yeah. And also that brilliant line, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn this way. Yeah. You know, the, there's so much we could talk about with this film because of how technically brilliant it is. But, you know, then it just ends up being a nerd fest. And I think we've covered all the main points. And I'm going to say that Mickey Noonan movie fan has picked a hit for the two sophisticated film goers. I'm very pleased uh-huh. about that. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to watch a film in which a car drives a car? <laughs> I mean, that's just amazing. <laughs> also, I'm not a sophisticated film goer, as you're probably about to find out. Ah, so yes, Yosra is leading us very nicely into the fact that it is her choice next. What, what are we going to watch? Oh, you're not yeah. going to make us go see Barbie, are you? No, but there are a couple of films I've been really nervous choose on 15 because i'm just not sure what you two are going to think and how you're going to judge me but <laughs> this is genuinely one hang of on my... let me put my judgment face on <laughs> genuinely one of my favorite films and flicking is about what our favorite films are so i'm i'm gonna do it i've been i'm being an hour like for months i'm gonna pick enchanted with amy adams oh yeah i'm i'm already not mad about this okay good <laughs> Hannah's face is very She's either right judging now. you or she's had a stroke. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm actually going through my brain roller deck to think what that is. And I'm not even sure I know what it is. So my current my current face is ambivalence. Okay. okay. I'm glad you didn't recognise it because I don't often ambivalence with you, I have to say. <laughs> but 
Well, if you're excited for more of Hannah's ambivalence, please do tune in for the next episode of Flicking. (laughs) Standard Issue for All Women.